Oh, start over. Okay. Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Oakhurst again. And uh, welcome home. It's nice to be inside, especially today, right? I don't know about you. I enjoyed being outside until it got sunny, which was right away. So, um, but again, just patience, flexibility, right? Uh, as we're coming back and just kind of looking at the forecast and everything, the plan for next week will be similar to today. Uh, I think it's going to be just as hot next week as it is today. So we'll plan on meeting in here, Lord willing, next Sunday also. So keep that uh, in mind. Uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, one is that uh, there's no restaurant or business emphasis this week. Kind of in talking with the other pastors, we felt like it had kind of run its course. We've done, what, almost two months of uh, of uh, restaurants and everything. So what we're looking at uh, in regards to uh, in, in regards to that is maybe having more uh, looking towards the fall and, and, and things like that. Um, Jerry McBee had surgery last Friday, and he's home, and Sharon is here today, and she at, he wrote us a card, and so he would like it me to read it to us, and so I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. So this is from Jerry. Um, uh, <laughs> this is from Jerry McBee. He says, Dear church family, thank you for all the prayers and concerns during my surgery and recovery. We know God hears those prayers. Thanks for the calls, uh, the cards and phone calls. I will return as soon as the staples are removed from my back. I will be glad to see you all. And uh, let's let's continue to uh, to uh, to keep Jerry in our prayers and we'll look forward to having him back and singing. Also, another announcement. I forgot to make this the last couple of weeks. There is an offering basket in the back uh, on the table back there. So we're not going to be passing the plate, uh, but there will be a place for that. Also, uh, tons of announcements, I guess, today. <laughs> uh, the the Gospel Project booklets uh, are back there on that table. If we run out, let me know and we can grab some more. Uh, with that in mind, uh, let's turn our attention to the scriptures. Oh, actually, we, we've got... Uh, I told the kids when they came, when we came back inside, if they memorize John three sixteen and they come up here and say it, that they will get something from me. So, uh, so we're actually going to do that right now. Uh, I know Kaylee's ready to go. Owen, are you ready to go? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Kaylee, you come up and you say John three sixteen. Right? Are you ready to do it too? Yeah. Okay. Let's come up here. You guys come up here. Let's stay like six feet apart, right? Um, and uh, let's say it. You're going to have to say it as loud as you can. Come on up here. You guys say John 3.16. <laughs> oh, it's all right. You don't want to come up here. All right, Kaylee. You can go off the mute. How about that? You want to say it in the microphone? Ryder, do you want to say it? No? All right. Well, good job, Kaylee. Well, with that in mind, let's turn our attention to God's Word. I don't think we can edit all this stuff out. <laughs> uh, 
All right. Well, first Peter chapter two is where our call to worship will come from. First Peter chapter two. I'll begin reading in verse nine. First uh, Peter chapter two, verse nine. God's word says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's go ahead and and let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you now, and Lord God, we do thank you for that good news that you have loved us by sending your Son, your one and only Son, to die for our sins. It's because of what Christ has done that we can sing praises to you. It's because of what your son Jesus has done that we can have eternal life. Lord, may we truly live as as exiles and sojourners in this land, recognizing that this world is not our final home. But Lord, while we live here, we ask that you would be honored and glorified in the way that we live so that unbelievers would see our good deeds and ultimately glorify you. Father, we pray for those in our midst who are, are hurting. Uh, Lord, who are recovering, we pray for Jerry uh, McBee and for uh, his recovery from surgery. We pray as well for Carol Lackey and for uh, the swelling in her legs to go away and that she would be able to to walk easily again. Uh, Lord, that we just ask that you would miraculously heal her. Lord, we also pray that you would please spread, uh, stop the spread of this virus, uh, that you would spare us and that you would use this situation for your honor and your glory. And we pray all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
take this off so you don't think I'm wearing a neck gaiter. Uh, will you turn your Bibles with me to Philippians, the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, Paul, will leave that up to your own judgment right now. If you could, please keep it on, though, okay? Um. <laughs> no worries. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And if you're able to, please stand. If not, then feel free to stay seated. The Word of God says, through the Apostle Paul, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For I am to live in the flesh. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, And now here that I still have. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you, God, for this opportunity to gather back again. Here in this building that you have provided for us. Lord, we're thankful for your goodness and your loving kindness to us. Lord, teach us what it truly means that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord God, I ask that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord 
I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Joseph Stone was a pastor who was persecuted for serving Jesus in Romania, for living the reality of this text, as Paul puts it, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Joseph Stone, he writes this. He says, during an interrogation, I told an officer who was threatening to kill me, Sir, let me tell you how I see this issue. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here is how it works. You know that my sermons and tape has spread all over the country. If you kill me, those servants, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know what, know I died for my preaching. And everyone who has a tape will pick it up and say, I better listen again to what this man preached because he really meant it. He sealed it with his life. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before. I actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you kill me. Stone had come to learn what Paul writes here, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Friend, have you learned that? Do you know that truth? Have you learned that truth that to live is Christ and to die is gain? Or do you still cling to the desires and the cares of this world? Friend, do you seek to magnify and treasure Jesus above all? Or do you still cling to the things of this world as ultimate? What do you live for? Paul here, and he's writing the book of Philippians. He's writing from a Roman prison. He is this chained man, Paul, tells us about living when dying is gain. How to have joy. How to have courageous joy. Because his life and his death are in Jesus Christ. He shows us how we are to live when dying is gain. That is what living and dying are all about. They are all about Jesus Christ. Christ. Living is about joyfully serving Jesus, and dying is about being with Jesus. Fathers, happy Father's Day to you. I know I was forgetting to say something else at the beginning of service, but happy Father's Day. Fathers, what is your goal in life? Is your goal in life simply to provide for your family? That's a great goal. but may that not be all that you hope for. May you teach them the gospel. May you teach them the meaning of this verse here that Paul writes in verse 21, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. May you live out what this verse says for them and may you model it for them in their lives. Courageous joy in Christ. That is how we live when dying is gain. That's how we live. How we live lives of joyful courage in this life is recognizing that dying is gain. So as we come to our text this morning, this section of first uh, of Philippians chapter 1, if you're taking notes, the, the main question we are seeking to answer is how do we live when dying is gain? How to live when dying is gain? gain. How can we do that? We'll see, first of all, in verses 12 through 18, that we are to rejoice at the spread of the gospel. Rejoice 
at the advance of the gospel. So verses 12 through 18. Rejoice at the spread of the gospel. Rejoice at the advance of the gospel. Rejoice when we see the gospel advancing. Second, how do we live when dying is gain? Will we live lives of joyful courage? We'll see that in verses 19 and following. So the second would be live lives of joyful courage. So first of all, as we look at verse 12, here we're going to see both Paul's passion for the spread of the gospel and also him rejoicing at the spread of the gospel, even in an incredibly unlikely circumstance. Verse 12, Paul writes there, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul is going on here and he's he's showing them, he's seeking, even while in jail, he's seeking to encourage the Philippians from far away. He's saying to them, although it might you might not see it, my imprisonment has actually brought about the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? Instead of Paul's imprisonment hindering the spread of the gospel, he's actually saying it's advancing the gospel. So he's going to show how two ways that his imprisonment is advancing the gospel in verses 13 and 14. First of all, we see in verse 13 that the first way it's spreading is that it's spreading among the guards. Look with me at verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Don't you love that? Paul is rejoicing at the spread of the gospel, even in unlikely circumstance of his imprisonment. Because the whole imperial guard is coming to know that his imprisonment is for Christ. This imperial guard, it was the elite, uh, they were elite Roman soldiers. They were under the direct command of Caesar. There was likely nine to 10,000 of them in Paul's day. And he's saying they have all come to hear that I am imprisoned for Jesus Christ. Remember, an important theme that we see, that we'll see throughout this letter is the theme of being in Christ, the theme of being in Jesus. And what Paul is demonstrating here is how all of his life is lived in Christ and it's lived for Christ. Friend, do you live for Christ in everything? Do you think that you would be able to be thrown in jail for the sake of Christ? Or would you compromise? Paul is able to live for Christ in prison. And this leads to the advance of the gospel among these imperial guards who likely would have been very unreachable if Paul was not in prison. To the, out, to, to the outsider, Paul's imprisonment would have seemed devastating. I mean, think about it. The greatest evangelist and missionary and church planner who ever lived is no longer able to plant churches. He's no longer in the field. Instead, where is he? He's chained up in prison. It would seem like that would greatly hinder the spread of the gospel, right? But no, not to Paul. Even though it seemed bad, actually it turned out for good. Why is that? Well, because as Paul writes here, the whole imperial guard knows about the good news of Christ crucified and 
Christ resurrected for sinners. He has a captive audience for his evangelism. Because typically, two to three times a day, a guard would come in and he would chain himself to his prisoner. And now this guard is chained to the most persuasive evangelist who ever lived. And one by one, these guards are uh, are coming to know Jesus, who likely would have been unreachable. How often God works that way, doesn't he? Where he uses what seems like terrible circumstances to advance the gospel. I don't know about you, but it gives me incredible hope for living today, doesn't it? How God often uses terrible circumstances to advance his kingdom, to advance the good news. William Cowper uh, was, uh, was was a poet and a writer, and he wrote this hymn. And in this hymn called God Moves in Mysterious Ways, or In a Mysterious Way. And in this hymn it says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. So behind this frowning providence, we see that God is using, or we could say that God actually sent Paul on mission to prison to reach those who are of Christ's fold. And so Paul is able to rejoice at that spread of the gospel among these unbelievers, these unreachable, hardened pagan soldiers. He is able to reach with the gospel. Paul could have easily just have folded up and begun to turn inward and complain and shut down. Instead, he used what seemed like a failure, imprisonment, as an opportunity to preach the gospel where it had not been preached. If you remember, if you've ever read uh, in Romans, Paul talks about how one of his greatest desires is to preach the gospel where the gospel had not been preached. And there he is doing that. Not where he likely would have imagined, but there he is doing it in prison, preaching the gospel where it had not been preached before, using these terrible circumstances to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. Fathers, may you model this for your family. May you teach your children and your grandchildren that behind the frowning providence, behind frowning providence, there is the smiling face of the one true God. So Paul is rejoicing here at the advance of the gospel, first among these unbelievers, but we see a second way now in verse 14. Paul's imprisonment has served to advance the gospel among unbelievers, but also among believers. Look with me at verse 14. He says, And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So you see that he's saying, look, they've become more bold. They've become uh, uh, emboldened, more courageous to speak the word without fear. Among believers in Rome, they're hearing that God is using Paul mightily in prison. These believers are now able to have more courage to share the gospel themselves. They realize that, that God can use what seems like failure to advance the kingdom. And they're more Uh, They're living more courageous lives. They are emboldened. They saw Paul's boldness 
even while his life is in danger, and it encourages them to be more bold. And we see this interesting section now in verses seven, uh, verses 15 through 18, where Paul goes on to describe now how two groups are preaching the gospel as a result of his imprisonment. Look with me at verse 15. Some indeed preached Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So we see these two groups here are preaching the the gospel. And what's interesting, Paul considers both of these groups as believers. Even those who are preaching it from envy, they're not preaching a false gospel. Rather, they're preaching with wrong motives. So the first group, one of them, they they see God at work in Paul's imprisonment. And so they're strengthened, they're emboldened, and they continue to preach. But then there's that second group that preaches out of envy and rivalry which is certainly an interesting statement. These are believers, but they see Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity for themselves. They're likely looking to build their own following or ministry platform while Paul is in prison. They're believers who are likely at odds with Paul. They didn't like him and they wanted to harm his ministry in order to build up theirs. They're envious of Paul. So it's been said that if if Satan can't corrupt your heart with a love of money or, or sexual sins or other sins of this world, then he'll try to corrupt your soul with jealousy and envy. Friend, does it bother you when others are praised or promoted more than you? What about if they seek to tear you down in order to advance themselves and build themselves up? So there are those here who are seeking to build their own platforms. They're using Paul's imprisonment for their own personal benefit. And how sad it is to compete with others who are on the same team. Isn't that sad? As in tearing them down. Have you ever experienced that before? you ever been on a team or, or, or in your job where people are t- seeking to tear each other down? I remember hearing the story of a, of a pastor. Uh, he told the story of how there was a new church plant that started on the same street as his church. And he said that the other church basically put a sign up right in front of the entrance into their parking lot saying, basically, don't come to that church, go to our church. I, and I remember actually a couple of years ago here in the Sierra Star, there was an advertisement for a church that was being started in course gold and the headline said come to the only christ-centered church in the mountains uh i remember reading that well i don't know if that's very christ-centered advertisement right or christ-honoring ad i guess we're not very christ-centered here nor any other church up here uh, except for them but how sad that is right when people try to tear each other down who are on the same team However, Paul ultimately says he's not concerned. He's not concerned about his personal interests. Rather, he rejoices, as he says in verse 18, he rejoices at the gospel advancement. 
we see that he ultimately cares more about Christ being proclaimed than about himself. He's still rejoicing at the gospel advancing. The way that we fight against sin and temptation of jealousy and envy in our own life is caring about Jesus' glory more than our own glory. It says, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So how do we live when dying is gained? Will we rejoice at the advance of the gospel? So, believer, friend, I ask you, what are you doing to advance the gospel here? Are you looking for intentional ways in which you can spread the gospel in the midst of this uh, incredibly interesting season that we are in? Or are you waiting for others to do it, to do that work? Friends, if Paul can live for the spread of the gospel in prison, then certainly we can here as well. So how do we live when dying is gain? Will we rejoice at the spread of the gospel, even in unlikely circumstances, even in circumstances where others seek to tear us down? But second of all, how do we live when dying is gain? Will we live a life of joyful Verse 18, the end of verse 18, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is, Paul is showing here that, that whether he lives or he dies, his hope is that Christ will be honored, that Jesus, as some of your translations might read, Jesus will be magnified in his life. Is that what we live for as well? Do you live for Christ's honor or for your own? Paul is saying that what's most important to him is not the preservation of his life, it's not his comfort. It's not his bank account. It's not the building up of his own platform. You know, he's saying what is of chief importance to him, to him is his faithful witness to Christ in both his life and in his death. Is that your chief purpose? He says in verse 21, probably one of the most quoted verses of this book, for to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. That's his chief purpose. Paul's hope that Jesus would be magnified and honored in his life because to live is Christ. What does it mean to live is Christ? The the original uh, way that this is written is pretty it's kind of wooden it's pretty straightforward it's not to live is christ it is just to live christ to die to gain but what does that mean simply put living is serving christ living means depending on jesus and everything living is to honor him Whereas 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, do all for the glory of God. In everything you do, seek to honor and glorify and serve Jesus. Notice how Paul begins verse 21. 
He says what? For me. For me to live is Christ. Is that for for you as well? Paul said he would live for Christ, but what about you? What about you? Do you live for Christ? Is he what you value more than even your very own life? I was reading one pastor on this passage this week, and he said, how would you fill in this blank? For me, living is blank. How would you fill that in? Many would answer, for me, living is money, or sex, or pleasure, or power, or beauty, or happiness, or comfort. So if saying that for me, living is money, then death is what? Not having money. Or if for me, living is comfort, then death is not having comfort. See, many people live their lives and they fill in that blank. For me, living is blank. They would fill in that blank with empty treasure that moth and rust will destroy. But what about for you? Can you say, like Paul, to live is Christ and to die is actually gain? For the Christian, dying is gain. Why is dying gain? Because you actually get to be with Jesus. What's the gain? Christ is the gain. Look with me at verse 23. Look at how Paul puts it. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for what? For that is far better. To die, Paul says, is to know Jesus even more closely than we know him here. To die is gain because Jesus is the gain. Not that we get to see family or friends or loved ones in heaven. Dying is gain because we get Jesus. We get to have Jesus more closely than we have him here now. That's the real gain of dying. You know, I'm always a little concerned when I hear people talk about heaven. And it it seems as if their hope is more about the people they get to see than seeing Jesus face to face. It seems as if their hope is more about the family and friends that they'll see there in heaven than in actually seeing Jesus face to face. Friend, do you count Christ as more satisfying than all else? If you do, then Paul says you treasure Christ. You magnify Him even in your death. Believer, what is the worst thing that can happen to you? You die. Yet we see here that it is gain. What great comfort and what great hope this passage should give us. This little phrase should give us. This should Bring us to live lives of joyful courage. When you are able to rejoice in God, even in the midst of your suffering, what you're showing is that your treasure is not in the things of this world. Everything in the world can be falling apart, yet you can say, you can still say, I would rather have Jesus. 
I'd rather have Jesus. You can rejoice because our hope is so secure. Believer, do you know why your hope is secure? Because the grave is still empty. Yes, it may seem like your life is falling apart, but the tomb is still empty. Yes, it may seem like you can't get out of this hole, but guess what? The tomb is still empty. Yes, it may seem like you're constantly afflicted, but guess what? The tomb is still empty. You see, everyone wants to live, but everyone will die. And there's only one way to live a life worthy of living and a life and a death worthy of dying. And that is to look to the one Jesus Christ who conquered death. The one whom Paul is speaking of here, whom he desired and he treasured above everything. To be with Christ is far better. Friend, if you don't have meaning in life, if you don't have this outlook on life or this outlook on death, know this, the grace of God and salvation is available to you today in the person of Jesus Christ who came and he lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for us and who rose for our salvation. This passage shows us the reality that even while Paul was in prison, God was using it for good. This shows us ultimately that nothing happens outside of God's sovereign and gracious will. He is using his imprisonment here to spread the gospel so that those who had not known Jesus would come to know Jesus. Friends, whether we serve the Lord Jesus Christ here in these mountains or in a global city around the world or in a tiger infested jungle, nothing can happen outside of his perfect will. Because even the worst thing that can happen to us, that can happen to the believer, death, is actually gained for those who trust in Jesus. And have repented of their sins. What good news that is and what hope that should bring us to live lives of joyful courage. As Joseph Stone said to his interrogator, his persecutor. He said, so, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before. I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you kill me. Then he writes, after I said this, the interrogator sent me home. Another officer who was interrogating a pastor friend of mine told him, we know that Mr. Stone would love to be a martyr but we are not that foolish to fulfill his wish. And he goes on to say, I stopped to consider the meaning of that statement. I remember for how many years I had been afraid of dying. I'd kept a low profile because I wanted badly to live. I had wasted my life in inactivity. But now that I had placed my life on the altar and decided I was ready to die for the gospel, they were telling me that they would not kill me. I could go wherever I wanted to go in the country and preach whatever I wanted, knowing I was safe. As long as I tried to save my life, I was losing it. But now that I was willing to lose it, I found it. So friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, how do we live when dying is gain? How do we live Christ-honoring lives when dying is gain?
will we rejoice at the spread of the gospel in good circumstances and bad. We also seek to live lives of joyful courage because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that because of Jesus Christ living and dying, that for us, our life is meant to be lived for you. And even death itself is gain. Oh, that we, oh, that we may long to be with you, for that is far better. But may we also seek to live faithful lives in this present moment that you have given us here. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and join us in singing?
Amen. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Uh, two two uh, announcements as we go from here. Just uh, next week, the plan is to be here, uh, meeting in here. So Lord willing, we'll see you again next week. Also, I was hoping that we would be able to take the Lord's Supper once we gathered in here the first time. But uh, the supplies that I ordered for it, they're all individual packets, which is kind of different, right, for us. But we did that because of safety and germs and everything. They just shipped last week. They haven't got here in time. So Lord willing, maybe we'll be able to take the Lord's Supper this next week. I ordered them like two months ago, but I guess every other church is ordering them as well. So um, Lord willing, we'll be able to take the Lord's Supper uh, next Sunday. So with that in mind, I'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, may we truly live, not just say and sing, but may we truly live as if we would rather have Jesus than anything. Father, as we go from here, may we live lives that are full of joy and rejoicing that even in the midst of this pandemic, you are still at work. The good news of Jesus Christ continues to go forth. And may we also live lives of joyful courage, seeking to share the gospel with those around us. Father, we also pray for uh, the Awa people group of Columbia that we have adopted as a church. Lord, that they would come to know the good news of Jesus Christ, that you would open up doors for ministry with them, the missionaries working in Columbia, so that your name would be proclaimed where it hasn't been proclaimed yet. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.